And I will be reading from Psalm 116 this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. I love the Lord because he has heard me, my voice, and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst. O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Lord, text today we've just read from Psalm 116. And we're going to focus uh, primarily on the first two verses, but we'll look at the context as well. Uh, before we get into the text, there's, uh, I want to make a couple of observations. And the first one is regarding the author of the psalm. The fact is, we're not certain who the author is. Okay? But there are legitimate reasons to think that this is a psalm of David. And uh, for our purposes, I'm going to assume that David is the author. I hope you'll bear with me on that much, but uh, uh, we're not sure uh, that is. But it is Davidic. And we can say with certainty it is consistent with other declarations which we know are by David. So we'll just consider David our psalmist today. Secondly, We'll notice that prayer is going to be our focus. Prayer will be the lesson that we take away from this passage. Of course, that is always appropriate. Because prayer is vital to a healthy life of faith. Indeed, prayer has been called the breath of spiritual life. When a new baby is born... One of the first signs we look for is breathing. When someone becomes a Christian, when someone is regenerated or born again, one of the first signs is praying. The late theologian John Murray said, Where saving grace is applied, there will be prayer. Where there is no prayer, 
Saving grace is absent. Prayer, then, should be a part of every aspect of life in all its extent and detail. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. That is, never be outside of that frame of mind wherein you have communion with God. Luke 18.1, Jesus. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Of course, this parable is of the persistent widow. These verses indicate our need for constant awareness of our dependence on God, as well as our profound thankfulness for salvation, protection, sustenance, direction, and blessing. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And so we can see that prayer is the breath of spiritual life. When we are not praying, when we are not communing with God, we are not breathing. Some of us here today have been holding our breath for a long time. How can we expect to be spiritually healthy? if we are not in communion with God. So we come to this passage and we come to these declarations by David, Psalm 116, one where David makes a great and telling declaration. I love the Lord. And then in verse 2, I will call on him as long as I live. I love the Lord. Spurgeon calls this a blessed declaration. Now, surely each one of us ought to be able to declare without the slightest hesitation, I love the Lord. Certainly, this is one of the surest signs of true salvation. If we are able to say with sincerity, I love the Lord. That is so because the scriptures tell us that without grace, we are enemies of God. We cannot love him. We love, the apostle John tells us, because he first loved us. And furthermore, it is in keeping with the law. We are commanded to love God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Indeed, our Lord explained that this summarized the law. We see this in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when the Philistines, or excuse me, they're not, they'll come later. When the Pharisees, 
heard that, yeah, the Philistines weren't there yet. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. But thirdly, I want you to notice something here. This, by David, is not merely an emotional outburst of passion. The words of the text imply that David is offering an intelligent, observant, and thankful acknowledgement. We see this because David gives us logical reason for his love, which we will consider in a moment. But for now, let it suffice for us to say, along with David, I love the Lord. Now I must pause to ask the question, do you love the Lord? Ask yourself that question honestly. Think about your life. Think about who or what captures your first thoughts, your primary thoughts. Who or what can lay claim to your dearest affections? Who or what receives the primary benefit of your most urgent action? David could declare, I love the Lord. But notice David adds a second declaration in verse 2. I will call on him as long as I live. Literally, it says, in my days meaning throughout all the days of my life, every day to the very last day. The early church father, Ambrose, said regarding this declaration, not on some few days, but every day of my life. For to pray on certain days, and not on all, is the mark of one who loathes and not of one who loves. Not like those who only pray on holidays, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. For to one who loves God, every day is a holy day. Not like those who only pray in church, because that is the proper place for prayer. But everywhere, because God, Emmanuel, is with us everywhere. Not like those who pray to be heard of men, those who only pray when men are listening, but those who pray every day, everywhere, whether men are listening or not, because God is listening always. And notice the the connection between love and prayer here. I love the Lord. I will call on him as long as I live. Of course, one of the the marks of true affection is the desire to communicate 
to commune with the loved ones. Have you noticed when young people fall in love? For some of us, that was, you know, we have to really think back. But can you, have you noticed when, when young people fall in love, how they always want to be together and talk with each other? Have you observed this? It is one thing to say you love the Lord, to even think you love the Lord. It is another to know you actually do love the Lord because you always want to commune with Him. Love surely produces heightened interest. And that heightened interest deepens love. There is a certain reciprocity here. I remember back to my college days Back in the dark ages, was, was a while ago. I remember one of the first days on campus, and as I was walking across a common area, I noticed on the other side an absolute vision of loveliness. An angelic being who had been dropped into our midst. And I knew. This was the one. Now, she denies it. (laughs) And it took me a long time to persuade her that she was the one. (laughs) But indeed, I can't forget it. In those days, we didn't have... We didn't have iPhones or e-phones or cell phones or all those things that we carried around us, and we couldn't communicate via text messages. We didn't even have computers to send emails. If, if there was communication we, on campus there, we had to go to a post office. And we all had our little post office boxes. Some of you remember those days. And, and uh, it's an interesting thing that, uh, that I, uh, I, I learned when she would be at the post office. I knew where her box was. And just coincidentally, I often found myself there at the same time. Now, people today would call that stalking. (laughs) But it wasn't. These were purer times (laughs) in which (laughs) we were young. (laughs) And and, and so I would get there often at the right time. Why? Well... I was falling in love and I, I wanted to see and be with and near this, this loved one and then, and then as, as the, the relationship developed and, and uh, I began to work on persuading her that this was the Lord's will and, and we, would, we would spend as much time together as we could and, and, uh, and, and so we often often in the evenings would We'd, uh, well, we were real swingers. We, we would sit in the library. Okay, and, and Peggy would sit in the library and study, and I would sit in the library next to her and, and watch her study. <laughs> and then 
And then we would walk back to her dormitory and we would say goodnight and I would drop her off and then I'd make a beeline for my dormitory. And, and, and like I said, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't even have phones in our rooms. In our hallway, there was a payphone hanging on the wall. And if there wasn't somebody already there talking to somebody that he or was interested in, or at least listening, then I would, I would get on the phone and I would call her. I just spent hours with her, but I would call her. Why? Because I wanted to commune. I wanted to commune with her. It didn't matter whether we were talking or not. Just knowing she was there, you see. That's what happens, isn't it? Some of you know. Some of you know. Now catch this. Catch this. Love for God will make you pray more. Prayer to God will make you love him more. David says, I love the Lord. I will call on him as long as I live. Let's consider his reasons for saying that. I mentioned earlier that this was an intelligent, observant, and thankful acknowledgement. What was it that induced David to declare so abruptly his love for the Lord? Why does he declare here that he loves the Lord? Well, the context tells us. Prayer. Answered prayer. Because, he says, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Remember Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And here he says, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now notice verses, well, so, so, so he describes the context of his pleas for mercy with verses 3 through 9, he says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Again, verses 5 And six, gracious is the Lord. And righteous, 
The Lord, or our God, is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. In other words, David had experienced answered prayer. And the answered prayer was in the context of grace and righteousness and mercy. I wonder, well, what can excite love in us greater than grace and righteousness in mercy? In fact, prayer is referred to as coming to the throne of grace. Consider Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, just by way of hypothetical thought, what if David had not prayed? He certainly wouldn't have seen God answering prayer, would he? He may have noticed God's grace and mercy. I wonder if he would have had cause then to declare that he loved the Lord. But the fact is, David could make his declarations because he did pray and he experienced answers. Verse 4, Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Now, just an interesting side note here. Notice, God didn't keep him out of troubles. It's important for us to understand that. God didn't keep him out of troubles. He protected him in troubles. And he delivered him from troubles. As we considered a few weeks ago, there are troubles in this life. Ah, but we have the one to go to, to protect us and deliver us. And even there may be times the ultimate delivery is to be with the Lord for eternity. And of course, he refers to this in this chapter. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The ultimate deliverance. Well, let's continue. David had a lifetime history of experiencing God's faithfulness in answer to his prayers. Even as a young lad, we see his inexplicable trust in God. Remember his response to that blasphemous, uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath. Well, let's go there quickly. I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's just review this a little bit. 1 Samuel and chapter 17. Beginning with verse 21. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers 
And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, They repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You see, David had a reason for his faith and confidence, didn't he? God had been put to the test before in his life, and he had always come through. And this happened time and time again throughout his life. God consistently blessed him with grace, righteousness, and mercy. Walter Chantry calls this the unanswerable syllogism of faith. Child of God, Do you recognize God's grace, righteousness, and mercy? He is gracious in that he hears our voice. We do not deserve to be heard by God. 
He is the holy God. We are not entitled to be heard by the holy God. Indeed, he does not hear the prayers of the wicked. Proverbs 15, 8 and 29 tells us the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the righteous, excuse me, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Do you see the contrast? Although the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to him, and he is far from the wicked, when we pray, he hears our voice. John 9.31 says, We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Jesus said those words. That is grace. He is gracious. How then can God be righteous if he hears our voice? For are we not sinners? Ah, he hears our voice Because even now our Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. According to Romans 8, 34. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Furthermore, Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God is righteous. But not only gracious and righteous, He is merciful in that he withholds from us the just punishment for our sin. Look at verses 6 through 9 in our text again. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you for you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears my feet from stumbling I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living that's mercy Professor Murray again in the answer to prayer there is the fuel of prayer In the answer to prayer, there is the increase of grace to us and the growth of grace in us. As grace grows within, there is the outgo of that grace to the grace in God. But I would ask you, if you are not seeing the grace and mercy and righteousness of God, might it be because you are not praying? Also, he says again in verse 2, because 
he inclined his ear to me. Okay? First he said, first he said, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. And then he says, because he has inclined his ear to me. Can you see the picture here? God leaned toward the poor, embattled, and harassed psalmist. This intimates his readiness and willingness to hear prayer. The figure seems to be that of a tender physician or a loving friend leaning over a sick man whose voice is faint and scarcely audible so as to catch every accent and whisper. It is as if he lays his ear at the very mouth of prayer. He wants to listen. He wants to hear. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Several years ago, I returned from a trip, teaching trip in Uganda. And I got home and and I received a phone call from my sister in Michigan, and she said to me, she said, you better come right away. Daddy is about to die. And so I hopped on the plane, and I flew back to Detroit, and was picked up at the airport, and was taken over to my dad's apartment, and I walked into the apartment, and walked into my dad's bedroom, and there he was lying on the bed, and he looked so frail and so weak. And I went over to him. And I took hold of his hand. And I said, Dad, I'm here now. Dad. And I felt a, a little squeeze on my hand. And I saw his lips begin to move. His eyes fluttered. And, and his lips began to move. And I, I leaned over. And I put my ear to his mouth. I said, what, Dad? What? I wanted to hear my father's last words to me in this life. That's the picture here. He inclines his ear to us. Dear saint, are there times when you are so low, so weary, so discouraged you hardly have the strength to whisper? He inclines his ear to you. Perhaps you are so anxious, so worried you can hardly speak. He inclines his ear to you. Maybe you are so sad, brokenhearted. Grief has overwhelmed you so that you don't know what to say. You can only groan and weep. He inclines his ear to you. Could it be that you are so embarrassed, so ashamed of your sin? You know you need to repent, but you wonder, can he forgive you yet again? Can he forgive you this time? Dear child of God, our Heavenly Father inclines His ear to you. He wants to hear your prayer. 
He wants to hear your repentance. He loves you. He loved you before you ever knew you needed to love him. Spurgeon said, when our prayer is very feeble, so that we ourselves can scarcely hear it, and question whether we do pray or not, yet God bows a listening ear and regards our supplications. Well, secondly, this picture implies that it is wonderful condescension in God to hear our prayer. He inclines his ear. Who is man? Who are we that the sovereign creator of the universe should bow down to earth to listen to our pitiful whispers of prayers? He is the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity and his name is holy. He dwells in the high and holy place. Psalm 109, 19 and 20 says, He looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked down at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. And so, we see David's inducement for prayer. You see, David could not help but love the Lord. And in loving God, he could not cease calling upon him as long as he lived. You see, he had seen the gracious and righteous and merciful hand of God in action. And he knew that trust in and communion with God was his one safe and secure place to be. That is how we are. (laughs) David understood this. And so he vows, I will. I will, he says over and over again, in this psalm, verse, verse 12, who shall I render to the Lord, or excuse me, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. But notice the time element here. I love. Present tense. He has. Past tense. I will. Future tense. It reminds us that even our best spiritual intentions are because of our gracious and righteous and merciful God's past and present demonstration of his love and care for us and his promises for our future. While we were yet sinners, that is, dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us so that we could be raised in newness of life in him. And with his substitutionary death for us come all the blessings and ramifications of justification and redemption. I love. Because he has, therefore I will. 
The poet Charlotte Eliot said it so well. My God, is any hour so sweet from blush of morn to evening star as that which calls me to thy feet, the hour of prayer? Then is my strength by thee renewed. Then are my sins by thee forgiven. Then dost thou cheer my solitude with hopes of heaven. No words can tell what sweet relief there for my every want I find, what strength for warfare, balm or grief, what peace of mind. Hushed is each doubt, gone every fear. My spirit seems in heaven to stay, and even the penitential tear is wiped away. Lord, till I reach yon blissful shore, no privilege so dear shall be as thus my inmost soul to pour in prayer to thee. But I would be remiss if I did not pause for a moment and warn against presumption now. For I fear there are many in our day who take a measure of comfort in the promises of Scripture without understanding the terms. These blessed truths, according to Jesus, are only for the righteous. And we are only made righteous by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf which we receive by faith. My friend, if you think you can claim God's grace and righteousness and mercy while dismissing his offer of salvation through faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, you are tragically mistaken. You must acknowledge and repent of your sin and place your faith exclusively in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no other way of salvation. Do that today. Do that right now. But brothers and sisters, those to whom these blessings are applied, shall we not join with our brother David in loving the Lord and persevering in prayer all the days of our lives? How can we not love such a gracious and righteous and merciful and loving God. And why would we not commune with such a God through prayer throughout all our days on this earth? Indeed, prayer is the breath of spiritual life. Let me close by reading verses 15 through 19 of our text. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise 
the Lord.